the Making Sense of Life podcast, episode 10. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. We've got a very special guest today. We've got uh, Stephen H. Covey. Hi there, Stephen. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for joining us on, on, on the program. Uh, the reason I've, we've got the privilege of having Stephen H. Covey, we're going to talk actually a lot about Stephen H. Hutchins Covey's grandfather, which, who is Stephen M. R. Covey. Actually, Stephen, can you tell us your, your grandfather's full name as well? <laughs> so, so my grandfather's full name was Stephen Richards Covey, Stephen R. Covey. Okay. Stephen. My my father was uh, Stephen M. R. Or, or is Stephen M. R. Covey, okay. Stephen Merrill Richards Covey. So okay. right. it gets a little confusing it with all the, all the Stephen Coveys out there. Okay. But we're here primarily to talk about Stephen Richards Covey. Uh, and mm-hmm. let me just give you a little bit of background about, uh, about him for, for our listeners as well. So Stephen Richards Covey was born on October 24th, 1932, and he passed away on July the 16th, 2012. He was an American educator, author, businessman, and keynote speaker. His most popular book was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that uh, I think at the last count sold 25 million copies in 28 languages. His other books include First Things First, Principle-Centered Leadership, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, The Eighth Habit, and The Leader in Me, How Schools and Parents Around the World Are Inspiring Greatness, One Child at a Time. He was a professor at the uh, John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University at the time of his death. He's left an incredible legacy in his writings and in the lives that he's impacted. Um, And his Covey Leadership Center, which is now part of the Franklin Covey Organization, has three quarters of the Fortune 500 companies as clients. So we've got the privilege of having Stephen Hutchins Covey with us uh, here. Uh, and just, sorry, just to also mention, so Stephen Richards Covey uh, was married to Sandra, and they had nine children and 52 grandchildren. And Stephen, you're one of those 52 grandchildren. Um, That's right. <laughs> how would you like to, I mean, I've given a sort of the, the big picture of, of, what your yeah. grand, of who your grandfather was and, and what he did. How would you like to introduce your grandfather to our listeners? And remembering many of them, may not have come across him, or they may have heard heard his name sort of bandied about here and there, but may not know him, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, uh, a hard thing to introduce my grandfather. There's so many different ways you can go about it, but a, a few things that I'll share with your listeners that, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't familiar with. So when my grand, grandfather was growing up, um, when he was a young boy, he was really into sports. He loved sports. 
Um, but when he was around, I think, 10 or 11 years old, he had a serious bone condition, which uh, limited his physical activity to the point that he was uh, on crutches for about three or four years. Um, you know, I think from the age of 11 to 15 or something. So it was a really, you know, hard thing for a young boy that was very active and, uh, you know, loved sports and loved being outdoors to be confined to, you know, have this physical problem. But it was during that time that he really turned to academics and academic study and really got into books. And he kind of attributes a lot of his, you know, interest in, you know, studying about management and leadership way back when he was, was a young boy and, and had that, what he felt was an unfortunate event, but actually, uh, you know, kind of moved him in the direction of, of you know, that his career took, but, which was interesting. Um, so that, that's just kind of a, kind of a unheard story that many people yeah. don't know about. And um, sort of influenced who he became much later on as well. Yeah. It totally, yeah. It was a total influence later on. Um, he was a professor at Brigham Young University, BYU, uh, which is based in uh, the state of Utah, United yeah. States. So he was a university professor, I think, for you know, 20 or 25 years and uh, you know, would teach classes on organizational behavior. And a lot of the concepts and principles that you know, he kind of came up with or I guess he, he, he would say that he did not come up with the seven habits, right. but more, more that he uh, observed and was able to put in a sequential framework the seven habits. He didn't, did not invent them, doesn't, mm. didn't, never took any credit for them. Yes. He, said, yeah, he said that they could be found um, you know, in all major world religions. They're not specific yes. to a religion in particular. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, my first connection with your grandfather, obviously through his writing, was I remember I was in Missouri in northern India in 1996. Uh, we were on a sort of sabbatical for about a, a year, uh, sorry, for about six months. And some friends there recommended the seven habits of highly effective people. And I thought, this sounds a fascinating way. In fact, the person who recommended it actually went through the whole seven habits with me. And I thought, this is fascinating. So when I went to, when I went back to Delhi, I went to a bookshop in Delhi and uh, picked up the book. And to say, to put it simply, I was blown away because this was the first time I'd come across someone who was able to bring together the world of a serious understanding and faith in God with business and with life and with everyday life as well. And I think, you know... Um, at a time when the main emphasis in the corporate world was was about you know building better organizations you know your grandfather argued that personal character purpose and self-discipline was, was what mattered and i think he really hit a chord at that time because i mean you know 25 yeah. million copies sold all those languages um and this issue about what he called the inside out approach um i think plutarch is is, is the greek philosopher he says he says what we achieve inwardly becomes outer reality but the biggest thing that blew me away I would tell you, it's when I picked up the book, and here it is here. <laughs> when I picked awesome. up the book, yeah. uh, page 309. I mean, as a disciple of Christ, to see this in a business book, in a secular bookshop in Delhi, just completely just blew me away. And I'll just quote it to you. He quotes Ezra Taft Benson, who says, The Lord works from the inside out. The world works from the outside in. The world would take people out of the slums, 
Christ takes the slums out of people and then they take themselves out of the slums. The world would mould men by changing their environment. Christ changes men who then change their environment. The world would shape human behaviour but Christ can change human nature. And you've got to understand, I mean, I, I'm brought up in, 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 in Britain, mm-hmm. in a very secular environment, where to use the God word in a work context would be, I don't know, like using a swear word. or you know, It would be totally out of context, right. completely out of context. And here was someone writing so unashamedly about his faith, but doing it in a way that, that was very inclusive. Um, and sure. that really just, you know, very, very much struck with me. Um, and also, I mean, the other thing I'm just going to say, the, the other, my other connection was it was in 2002. I, I went to it uh, six years later. I was at a conference in London and he was speaking and I managed to get five minutes with him. And I just told him how much I admired his work and how, again, this integration of both his faith and bringing him his work, but doing it in such an inclusive way. And I said to him, where did he get his ideas from? And he's in terms of and his thinking and he sort of mentioned to me that he'd written another book called The, the Divine Centre, which I have a copy here as well. Yeah. This is here, the Divine Centre. And uh, remember, this is this is before the days of the internet. I mean, with internet, you know, look, you and I are talking through Skype, you're over in Utah, and, yeah. you know, and this is everyday occurrence. But this is 2002, you know, the e- email and internet was in its infancy. And many of our listeners just take it all for granted. But, you know, you couldn't communicate like that. You, you didn't have you wrote a letter and maybe you got a reply back. Maybe you didn't. You never knew what would happen, really. Right. <laughs> so I told him that. And, and, he t- and I said to him, where can you get this book, The Divine Center? And he said uh, he wasn't really sure where to get it in the UK. But give me your name and address. And I gave it to him. And a few weeks later, this came. And I'll show you. And here it is. I don't know if you can see there. It says, from the library of, of Stephen R. Covey. Oh, yeah, that's great. So, that's his handwriting, yeah. That's his handwriting. <laughs> yeah. So he just actually, you know, I mean, I mean that, his warmth and generosity, that was just something, you know, that, that really struck me. I mean, obviously, I, I had a very, very brief interactions with him. But I think there was a couple more interactions I had when he was in the UK. But his warmth and his just very personal nature was, um, was very endearing. Um, yeah. And then just to, to finish, finish off, in, in subsequent years, you know, he's had such an influence on me that I then became a trainer for the uh, Cubby Leadership Programme with the NHS as well a few years ago. Um, but just coming back to you again, uh, Stephen. So the yeah. Seven Habits book originated in Covey's research on perceptions, this see-do-get model he talks about, and his in-depth study of the success literature since 1776. Can you expand on that for us? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, but uh, first I'd like to add... I. I um, I feel like I glossed over just a little bit about introducing my grandfather, I guess, from my perspective, yeah. uh, from a, gra- a, grand- a grandson's yeah. perspective. So growing up, and, and then I'll get to your yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of question about um, his, his review of the success literature. So growing up, I just knew my grandfather as kind of my crazy, funny <laughs> grandpa. Yeah, yeah. He really was a lot of fun. And, you know... When I was a young boy, I, I had no idea who he was, like, you know, out there in the world. I had no idea he was famous, that he'd written this book. Yeah. All I knew was I knew that he was just a fun grandpa. He would show up to family parties with, like, uh, crazy monkey masks. <laughs> right, okay. Or, yeah, or, or, like, crazy, these crazy masks. He loved wearing so he just masks. Appear. He'd just appear like that. He'd come through the door dressed like yeah, that. Yeah, he'd appear, he'd scare, he'd scare some of my cousins, but he was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, he was he was always very supportive, and like you you said with your 
your experience, you kind of radiated this, this great energy and like, you know, it's kind of energy or love or passion that you could just feel when you were around him. And, you know, as, as his grandson, I, uh, I was always grateful being around him because he was so affirming. And he talks a lot about that in, in his books is how uh, you need to affirm people, you know, you know, see the potential in people. And my grandpa was a master at seeing, seeing the potential in people and, and affirming them. And so it's like every time you're with him, he was so, you just felt so good about yourself, you know, and say, wow, you know, Stephen, you are such a great grandson. I'm so proud of you. You're so smart. Wow. You're so talented, this, this. And you just like feel so great about yourself. Yeah. But he wouldn't just do it with me. I mean, he'd do it with, you know, he'd do it with everyone. Yeah. And he had a true gift with people to really help them see in themselves, you know, their potential yeah. and what they, you know, what, what they had to, to contribute to the world. Um, and then the other side is, uh, you know, one time I, uh, growing up, I played sports uh, here in America and I loved playing American football. That was one of my passions. Uh, and I had a game when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. And my grandpa, you know, this busy person speaking all over the world, uh, would always get my schedule, my football schedule, you know, like a year in advance. Right. So that, so that he could plan his trips and try and make it back so that he could see me, you know, one of, one of his grandson's games. Wow. And, and, and he would, you know, at, at times take, you know, uh, longer routes or, or he would fly through the night so that he could make it back to see my game and, you know, some of my other cousins. Yeah. So, so you know, it's just amazing how, you know, I, one time he, he had just met with the Dalai Lama. And at the time I was like, you know, I had no idea who that was. I, I didn't know who or what the Dalai Lama was. <laughs> okay. But uh, he had met with him and then uh, had come back to my game. And my mom came up to me after and said, be sure to go thank Papa. We called him Papa. Yeah. Go thank Papa. Because he had just met with the Dalai Lama, and I was like, "Who the heck's the Dalai Lama?" I don't, you know, I don't care. But, but what I knew was it was someone important, and yeah. he had kind of sacrificed his travel schedule so that he could try and make it back for my game. Yeah. And stories like that, you know, have a had a huge impact on me, especially as I look back at my life and I yeah. realized the position he was in and uh, the work that he was doing. That you know, it was still his utmost important importance to him to support his grandchildren right Fantastic. so I, I just wanted to share that yeah, no. uh, can, can I just ask as well because he's yeah because he's got so remember he's got nine children and 52 grandchildren so you you are one of 52 okay. yeah and now it's actually it's up I think it's up to it's, I think it's up to 56 now since, since he passed away so, <laughs> I, mean, I mean for a grandfather to keep up with say four or five grandchildren is a good achievement but right. 52 requires serious organizational, serious system management and organizational ability. Because you've, I mean, on average, you've got a birthday at least every week. At <laughs> <Yeah>. least. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> let alone your own children's birthdays, let alone wedding anniversaries, let alone, I don't know, um, yeah, you know, other special events, you know. Yeah. You know, no, he and he was I mean, great at, he was great at managing it. And, and obviously he had, you know, his staff that helped him. Yeah. Uh, manage everything, but I mean, just just the, you know, from my perspective, from a, a grandchild's perspective, is yeah. I didn't have a clue that he was, you know, famous or anything until and I was number, probably. And what number grandchild are you? 
I mean, I am the uh, fourth. I'm number oh, okay. four. Okay, so you're you're sort of quite high. So okay, so at that point, yeah. So you were the because when you reach about number forty-eight, forty-nine, it becomes quite yeah. hard. So <laughs> yeah. you're number four. Okay. So I was number four. Yes, I only had my other cousins were just a few years older than me, so I was kind of one of the first ones. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah and, but, and tell uh, us a little about the, about the Stephen, because there are, there are a lot of Stephens as well. So can you just talk about that a little bit, because that yeah. gets very confusing. It does get confusing. So I'm actually the fifth Stephen Covey. Right. Uh, the first Stephen Covey was Stephen Mack Covey. Okay. And, what, and then was he the first son? So no, was Sorry. So Stephen. So Stephen, so Stephen Mack Covey, and then there was Stephen Glenn Covey, and Stephen R Covey, my grandpa. Okay. And then my dad, Stephen M. R. Covey, and then I'm Stephen H. Covey, right. and then my my son, who is five years old, is Stephen V. Covey. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so if, I kept, if somebody shouts I, out Stephen <laughs> at a family gathering, it could be get very confusing. That's exactly right. Yeah, it could get confusing. Uh, so it's a great, obviously, it's a great legacy. Um, to be named after not just my dad and my grandfather, but my great grandfather and great great grandfather, who were also, you know, great businessmen uh, yes. and, and did a lot of great things as well. Wow. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. It's yeah. It, it, it's it's and, and such a rich heritage and background, as you said, from one generation to to the other, and and this huge family network that you have now. Yeah. So. Should we just talk? Should we just go back then to the seven habits? Yeah. Just about yeah. how and how that originated from what this research project he was doing. What was all yeah, that so, about? Yeah. So this research project uh, that he was doing is he, you know, basically studied the success literature from you know the the founding of uh, the United States of America, 1776. Yeah. Uh, to World War One. Um, so he did this big, long study, and, and then he also... Where did he get the idea for that? Do you know where he got the idea for that? I think it's because he was a professor at Brigham Young University, and he was teaching organizational behavior. Yeah. And so I think as part of his, uh, uh, you know, as part of teaching the class, he was just very studious and was always asking questions and wanting to learn and find out more. And he had a natural gift of... Uh, you know, just being able to, you know, study about humans in general and be able to kind of pull out big picture ideas. So um, in his study, what he noticed is uh, from 1776 to World War One, most of the literature was focused on what he called the character ethic. Yes. Uh, you know, it was focused on things like having integrity and high character, honesty, you know, uh, kind of traits like that, yeah. and then a lot of the literature from World War One up until you know when he was studying was more focused on what he called the personality ethic. Yes. So that was more kind of uh, tactics yeah. on how to uh, you know influence people. Well, yeah, just but, thinking, I was going to say that Dale Carnegie, isn't it? I, I always remember I read Dale Carnegie. This would have been about the, in the eighties or seventies. Yeah, it must be about the seventies, late seventies, early eighties, and it's very, be, pretend that you're interested in somebody so that they like you, so that you can then get what you want out of them. Sort of, you know, very yeah, easy I, to become manipulative. Very easy for that. You know, we all have mixed motives in life, but it, 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 as you said, very much pushing towards that get what I can out of people kind of attitude. Yeah. You know? 
Right, yeah, so he just noticed there was a lot of focus on kind of tactics and more superficial things and not so much focus on, uh, you know, what, what, what should be the root of people's life, which is things like character and integrity. So, you know, as he studied that, um, you, you know, he kind of said, well, you know, and everything that was happening in the world and the problems that were happening is that there's just been a huge uh, focus on the wrong thing and had noticed that most of the books coming out were not focused on the core, uh, these core principles, as, as, he, as he would later say. And so that's kind of where, set, you know, the, the idea of seven habits came about. And, and as I said before, is the seven habits, none, none of them are really new. No. I mean, you, if you read the book and you say, well, you know, some people read the book and they're like, well, this is just common sense. You know, it's not. But common not sense anything. is not common practice. That's the thing. Common sense is, is, is otherwise the world would, would be in a much better state if we, you know, it, if we. Right. Obeyed yeah, our so common you, sense. Yeah. 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 You read the book and um, you're just like, well, of course, like this is right. Like, you know, everything rings true. Because, you know, he tried to base the seven habits on, on, on principles, which, you know, uh, you know, can't be changed and which are, which are true. Um, but he, he more was, he had a great gift of being able to see everything and put everything into a sequential framework. Yes. And I think, I think that's what was so unique and powerful about the seven habits. It's, people had talked about things like this before, but he was able to kind of package it in a way that made a lot of sense. You know, he, one of the major takeaways from the seven habits is the idea of a maturity continuum, right? So it's, you're, you have to be independent before you can become interdependent. Um, and so the, the independence is habits one, two, and three interdependence is habits four, five, and six. And and, and we'll we'll come to that in a moment, but just to say, and the other big thing I think is his, his, the way he was able to articulate, it's not about more information. It's not about knowing more stuff. It's about a new way of seeing things. This see, do, get model. You change the world, the way you change the way you look at the world and that Mm -hmm. will affect the way you think, which will affect your behavior and your choices. Um, you know, the, I think that what's it, he quotes Einstein, that, that Einstein, you know, us, the, significant, the significant problems we face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking that we had when we first created them, I think is the quote right. that he uses in, in the book. And then there's that very powerful, the story he's got about when he's on that train. And um, yeah. yeah, why don't you tell us yeah, that so, story? Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. So when he was on, uh, when, you know, one time he was on a subway train, I think in New York, hmm. and uh, when he was there, he, there was this man that had a few children that were really causing major issues on the train. You know, they were really loud and rambunctious and yeah. disturbing all the other passengers. And Grandpa, you know, he was kind of looking at him and saying, well, is this guy going to do anything? You know, clearly everyone here is irritated. So my grandpa talked to him with what he felt. You know, he had a lot of restraint. You know, he kind of wanted to say, just, you know, control your kids. But, he, you know, he said... Sir, do you think you could maybe, uh, you know, maybe talk to your kids? I really think they're disturbing all of the passengers on the train. And then the man, you know, kind of looked up at him like he had just kind of woken up from a trance and said, oh, yeah, you know what, you're right. Uh, you know, we, we, just, we just got back from the hospital where yeah. the, um, the, these children's mother, my, my, my wife, just died. 
Yeah. And uh, I don't really know what to think about it. And I don't think that they do either. Yeah. And so in that moment, my grandpa had, you know, what what he called a a major paradigm shift Mm. um, where, you know, he saw, he saw the situation totally different after the man said it. I don't remember and, how he explained as well. Yeah. Suddenly, all this compassion came where a few seconds yeah. earlier, there was irritation and maybe even anger. Now, suddenly, all this compassion, as it were, as it came out of nowhere almost. It didn't come out of nowhere, but it felt like that. You know, yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, that, and that's the power of a, of a paradigm is, um, you know, you can, you can focus on behavior all day you want and focus... You know, he, he kind of calls it, you know, hacking it. You know, you're, you're trying to focus on the branches of the tree. But if you focus at the root, which is kind of your paradigms, how you see the world, that's when you can make, make major changes. Yeah. So like in the instance of the subway, uh, you know, he could have tried to say to himself, oh, well, I'm going to focus on my behavior and have a good attitude and not get mad at this guy. Mm. But when, once he had that paradigm shift, that change, Yes. Then it was automatic. It was easy yes. to change his behavior, right? Yes. So that, that, that's the idea behind yeah. it. Right. Thank you, yeah. And the other big revolutionary uh, change, I think, that he brought about was, or that he articulated as well, was this issue about treating people as human beings, not just as machines or cogs in a wheel to get something done. And that, you know, we are body, mind, heart, and spirit. And he, yep. he, he talks about those four human needs, to live, to love, to learn, and to leave a legacy to live for the body, to love for the heart, to learn for the mind, and to, to leave a legacy for the, for the spirit. And again, which I, which I thought was just pure genius, because, I mean, I, I remember I, I, I gave, um, I, I, I was teaching the seven habits, as I mentioned, in the leadership program, and a particular guy who was an atheist came up to me and said, why are you talking about this spiritual nonsense kind of stuff? And yeah. I was able to say to him, look, okay, you, you don't have any faith, you're an atheist. But think about it, to leave a legacy, even though you say you don't have any particular spiritual faith, you want to know that your life has purpose. You want to know that after you've gone, that, there, that you've made some kind of impact on the world. And he was able to right. then back off and say, well, OK, yeah. He had to. And I think that's what's right. so very, very helpful about the book is that it can bring in people of any faith or no faith, but talk, right. about, talk in, in such a holistic way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that idea of to live, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy, that's actually my family, my immediate family, that's, that's our family's mission statement right. is, is that, to, lead, to, love, to, to live, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy, or the short version is body, heart, mind, spirit. Hmm. Um, you know, that we're, we're four-dimensional yeah. beings. Yeah. Um, and, and that was definitely a, yeah. a great insight my grandfather had. Yeah. And I think we're only, even now, we're slowly beginning to understand that. I mean, obviously, still companies and organizations still treat people as cogs in machines. Right. But, and, but I think the power of the internet, the power of technology, a positive thing is it's, it's forcing us to become more relational. If, you know, totally. Yeah. Like that. That's great. Totally. Let, let's, let, Stephen, let's talk a little bit now about, as it were, let's, can you just give us an overview of, of the seven habits themselves? You just t- touched on them briefly, but uh, just give, sure. give, us, give us an overview of that, yeah. Okay, this is this is t- testing time, right? <laughs> yes. Well, I'll help you. We'll help each other. We'll help <laughs> no, each no, other. no, no, we'll no. It's other. actually funny because uh, growing up, I I hadn't read the Seven Habits, and people would always ask me like, when you guys have family get-togethers, you just sit around and talk about the Seven Habits. And I said, no. I was like, I don't even know what the Seven Habits are. You know, when I was a teenager. You at, how old were you that age? How old were you then? When what age were you at that point? Yeah. I mean, I was you know, 
16, 17, okay. 18. I mean, I, yeah. you know, it was, it was around when I was 19 or 20 getting into college that, uh, I was, I was like, okay, you know what, I'd, I'd probably better at least no be familiar with these habits, you know, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, as I, you know, when I, when I did sit down and read the book and everything, it's, it's all stuff that I had heard before because I had heard my yeah. grandpa talk about it. But it's actually a good example of another thing about my grandpa is he was great at, uh, you know, um, you know, you can say and say all you want, but the ultimate way to teach someone is by their example. Yes. And my grandpa was, was great at that because, uh, you know, all the seven habits, when I read them, I was like, oh my gosh, like my grandpa embodies yeah. these seven habits. You know, he lived what he taught. I mean, that, that's a way more powerful way to teach people than just saying it. Is, and I'm going to say, that's what's it. so remarkable about the man is that from, from what I can see, that they were, you know, the public persona and the private persona really came incredibly, I mean, nobody's perfect, but it came incredibly right. close, incredibly close together. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, the, so the habits, uh, the way that he um, kind of presented them is like and I mentioned this before is um, you have to be able to be independent yes. before interdependent. So and before that is dependency. So from dependent. And, to yeah. So so you have to you go from being dependent. You're dependent on others to take care of you to being independent where you Which say, oh, I can so now take care of myself. And in the in the Western culture, we think I'm you know I'm I'm my own man. I can do things by myself. I don't need anybody's help. Any sign of getting help from anybody else is a sign of weakness. Yes. Right. And, and a lot of men. yeah, a lot of times independence is kind of put on a, a pedestal and just says you know once you're independent then you've made it. Yeah. But the reality is the reality is we live in an inter interdependent reality. You know yes. we're surrounded by people and we work with people and we have families and yes. associates. And so, yeah, that was kind of the maturity continuum, dependence to independence to interdependence. Yeah. And so he, he broke out the habits that to become independent, that's habits one, two, and three, yeah. and then to move to interdependence is habits four, five, and six. Yeah. So habit one is, is uh, be proactive, which basically says that you're taking responsibility yes. uh, for your life, that you have the capacity to choose your response to what happens. You're not a victim. It's, it's a lot of people in today's world have this victim mentality, it's right? It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And, and it's, it's happening more and more, you know, especially here in America, it's just, just this huge victim mentality. Whereas everything is happening to you and you can't do anything about it. You're just a pro you were just born this way. Yeah. You, or something you goes can't, wrong and it, yeah. who can I blame basically? Who can I go out to blame? Right. And, and a great line that he would say, my grandpa, he says that you're, let's see if I say it right. He says, your life is a product of your decisions and not your conditions. Right. I, I really like how he said that. It's that you, you take responsibility for your own life. And um, you say the reason that you are, you know, the point that you're at right now is because of your decisions and not because of your, you know, your conditions. Yes. So you take responsibility for your own life, right? Yes. And so he would always do this. He would say, uh, you know, between stimulus and response, yes. there, is, there is that space. There's a space, yeah. There's the space, and, and then you have the power to choose your reaction yes. to what happens to you. Yes. And that, that's, you know, that's been a powerful teaching for my own life. Yes. Um, 
is that, you know, when something happens to you, does that, you know, if someone you, you say, well, he, she or he or she makes me mad yes. or someone, someone cuts you off when you're driving. Oh, he makes me so mad. Yes. You have the, you have the power to choose a different response. That yes. person does not make you mad. Right? Unless you give them permission, unless you first, exactly. give, them, first yeah. give them permission. Yeah, exactly. But it's something you have to practice yes. and it's something you have to, you have to be deliberate about. It doesn't come easy when, when your whole life you you're kind of conditioned that way. Well, it's a skill right? to build, like you know, like, like like an athlete has to train. It's this is this yeah. is this is life training. This is the university of life. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So be proactive, and then the second, begin with the end in mind. Yeah. Begin with the end in mind is the idea that all things are created twice. Um, so the, there's kind of a first creation, which is like a mental image or a picture in your mind yes. um, of where you want to end up. Yes. And, and so it's when you're building a house, you, you plan the blueprint and you, yes. you know, go through everything and then you actually execute on it. So it's kind of this idea of you want to begin your whole life with the end in mind. How, how do you want to be remembered yes. when, you, and when your life ends? And yeah. that's what he says in the book, doesn't he? And this is very poignant, isn't he? He says, at your yeah. funeral, how do you want people to remember you? What do you want them to say at your funeral? Okay. Right. And, I mean, let's be even more sort of poignant about it. What do you want your grandchildren to be saying about you after yeah. you've gone? Which is what we're doing now. <laughs> which is what we're actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That was at, at his funeral. They. Yes. Uh, that was something that they talked about, you know, and they yeah. they read that portion from the book and said, "Well, you know, we're actually here now." Oh, really? You know? Okay. Yeah. So, so for the, for the listeners who don't know what we're saying, so we're talking about the second the second habit, begin with the end in mind, and. Uh, Stephen uh, R. Covey, the author, talks about b imagining yourself at your own funeral and the things that you'd like people to remember you. And as you just said, Stephen, that actually happened at his funeral. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And, you, and, essentially, and so you allowed that picture, as it were, to, to draw you. You're drawn to that picture rather than telling yourself, I've got to work harder, I've got to be better. No, you, you, you allow the vision of that future to, to draw you towards it. So, yeah, like that. Right, and when you ha when you have a vision of uh, what you know ultimately what you want to be and how you want to be remembered, then it gives you a sense of purpose and motivation in your life, and also it helps you with your you know day to day decisions and weekly and yearly decisions. It's like are are you working towards your ultimate vision, your your end in mind? That's right. So so it's a way to kind of check. Check with yeah. yourself, yeah. Okay, and, and the third one then, uh, putting first things first, yeah. Yeah, so putting first things first. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, this is kind of the, the second creation part of, of mm -hmm. beginning with the end in mind. So you now have the vision. Um, now you have the, the discipline and commitment to make it a reality. So the opposite is to put second third or fourth things first. So what, so what are, you know, what are, what are a person's first things in life? Typically it's, you know, family or faith or, you know, religion, you know, if it's different for other people. Um, basically he would say things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. Yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's the private victory. And oh yeah, just yep. and obviously that that the important that that time management matrix was the very big thing, urgent and important, which we talk about. Uh, just a quick plug for for the uh, for the blog that we've got a whole thing about time management that's on there, uh, urgent and important, and deciding on that. Uh, but let's go into to public victory and um, the as it were 
the interdependent continuum, as you said. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So habit four is think win-win. Uh, this habit is a habit on this kind of mutual benefit. Uh, he talks a lot about the abundance mentality, so that there is plenty out there and despair. You don't need to be threatened by other people. Yeah. Um, you know, you can nurture competencies higher than your own. Yes. Um, the, the opposite is scarcity, yeah. right? If someone else get the rec gets recognition or an award or promotion, then I might not get it. You, yeah. you have this scarcity mentality. Right. So it's think think win win is you know this idea of abundance, but it's also uh, you know you you can combine your efforts with other people who might be more competent in other spaces yeah. where you, where you can both win. Exactly. I remember when I was studying at university and at school as well, it was always this fear that if I share with you what I'm learning, then you might pass the exam and I might fail. So I just keep right. my cards very close to my chest and I don't tell you what I'm learning, which is, which is a scarcity mindset. But no, let's share knowledge, let's share our learning so that we both win rather than rather than exactly. win-lose. Yeah. And, and then sort of number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yeah, this one is... is one of my favorite habits. Um, it's kind of the idea of uh, empathic communication. So in order to influence someone, my grandpa would say, you need to be influenced by them first. Yeah. Um, so it's the idea that you truly listen to people. Most people listen with the intent to respond, right? Yeah. Um, but they don't listen with the intent to just understand that person. Yeah. And my, my grandpa would say that the deepest need of the human heart is to be understood. Yeah. Um, so you, I'm sure everyone and your listeners have had experiences before where they know someone who's a great, they're great at listening. Mm. Um, and they ne don't even necessarily need to say anything back to you. But when you are able to really express yourself to someone yeah. and they truly understand I mean that 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 is it's a powerful thing, and my my grandpa was so good at at this yeah. at uh, really seeking good. first to understand. I mean he was he was amazing at yeah. at this. He had a true a true gift with it, um, and it's been something that I've tried to do you know throughout my life, and and I feel like it's such a needed skill in today's world. Yes, because everybody's got their own agenda. Everybody wants to get their ideas across. Right. Is just to hold the space and say okay share what's on what you have to say let me really listen and understand i mean and i remember at this conference i was at in london he he said he he got us there must have been about i don't know four or five hundred people there and he, he got us to to um to put our hands up if we'd ever been on any on any course in listening <laughs> i don't think anybody put their hand up at all yeah but actually spent some time learning how to listen properly as you said that's that's a huge skill yeah and let's just yeah six and seven okay yeah, so six, so six uh, is synergize, which is, uh, as it says, it's kind of cre creative cooperation. Mm. So um, we, it's the idea that you can create something um, that wasn't there before. So yeah. one plus one equals three or four or, you know, 20 or 100. And we see, so that, putting, and we see that in nature. We see that in, 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 the, in the universe, as it were. Yeah. Right. So he would say that you you put you put two boards together that are stronger together than the sum of the two boards separately, yes. right? That's right. That, yeah. That's the idea behind behind yes. synergizing. Yes, and then 
Yeah, and then sharpen the saw, number seven. Yeah, habit seven. So that's the habit of renewal, uh, of kind of getting better constantly, that we have the ability to charge our own battery. Mm. Um, the, the, the opposite is, you know, you kind of, you let your blade get dull, yes, right? That's right. You, you let your mind atrophy and let the body go. Yes. Uh, that's right. You just keep doing, doing, doing with, with no time for, for right. recuperation. You need to renew. Uh, you, you need renewal, constant renewal, both physically and mentally and spiritually. And my grandpa, another great example of, of doing this in his own life, of, mm. of the ha this habit of sharpening the saw, was he was great at renewing himself and you know, being sure that he was physically fit and in shape. Yeah. Um, and would take would take time to renew himself so he that he had energy and yeah. never got never got to the point that you know he was just exhausted. Yes, uh, right. yes. he was able to renew yes. renew himself. And right, you know, right to the end, he was very active and yeah, very very involved, very very. Involved. Yeah, definitely. And, and in fact, in two thousand and four, he wrote uh, the book The Eighth Habit. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, it, I think it was fifteen years after the, the Seven Habits came out. From effectiveness to greatness. Find your voice and inspire others to find theirs. That's uh, a yeah. I've got that copy over here as well. So uh, awesome. yeah, like that. So uh, and yeah, it it and that really, in a sense, really built on the foundation of the seven habits and just continued to to take that thinking uh, further. Um, just brilliant. Yeah, excellent like that. So from the success of the seven habits came the Covey organization. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I, I have, me personally, was never involved uh, or have not been involved at, at this point actually working at the company. But uh, when, so once, when he was a professor at BYU, uh, he decided that he wanted to leave and start his own company. And I think at first it was called Stephen R. Covey uh, and Associates or something okay, like yeah. that. And then they changed the name to Covey Leadership Center. Yes. Um, and then after they were Covey Leadership Center for a while and the book came out, then they, had, then they merged with Franklin Quest, who yes. was known for uh, the day planners. Yes. And then they also did time management training. That's right. And then and that's how they became Franklin Covey. That's right. Um, and, and so... Yeah, Covey Leadership Center was more focused on, you know, like seven habits and leadership principles. Yes. Whereas Franklin Quest was more focused on time management and they had the physical product, yes. you know, as well. I've just got, I've just got the, the mission statement for, for the Covey organizations. It says, our mission is to empower people and organizations to significantly increase their performance capability in order to achieve worthwhile purposes through understanding and living principle-centered leadership. So that's a sort of the title there. But actually, just shortly after he died, there was um, a tribute to, the, to him in The Economist, uh, mm -hmm. dated 21st July 2012. Uh, and I just, I, just, I just read it, a paragraph from that, uh, and just, just your thoughts and comments on this. He says, the weakest part of Mr. Covey's work was his belief that combining lots of highly effective people would result in highly effective businesses. This is by no means in inevitable as he discovered firsthand after the Covey Leadership Center merged with Franklin, a firm that pioneered time management products. Soon after, new smartphones such as the BlackBerry, a time management de device that does not require you to listen to lectures, threatened the survival of the newly combined firm. 
Franklin Covey has since recovered by shifting its focus to advising organisations. It's one thing to be a very effective indi individual, another to be a very effective company, points out Clayton Christian, a management teacher at Harvard and also a non-executive director of Franklin Covey. Uh, and I think that was, uh, and that's a fair point, I think, to make, really. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any thoughts you want to, 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 to say on that or like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have, I have much to add other than, uh, yeah, I think, you know, obviously to, to be an effective organization, I mean, it helps if you have individually effective people. Yes, but I the think synergy, as a bring, whole, bring together their unique their, their unique abilities, their strengths, their individual talents, and working right. as one coherent whole. That requires another skill set. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so it's one thing to be individually effective, but to be effective at, as a whole as an organization, I mean that it does require a different skill set. But I mean, it's it's better if you can have an organization with great individuals who want to synergize and who you know, have an abundance mentality, yes. uh, it's easier to do it, but you definitely need, uh, you know, a different, yeah. different skill set than, than what's just found in the yeah. seven habits. And, yeah. and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did, um, did your grandfather's brother um, also work as well? Did, was he doing more of the business side at one point? Is that right? Have I got that right? Or? Yeah, so, uh, so it was actually my, my father, Stephen M. R. Covey, was the CEO at Covey Leadership Center, before the merger, right, yeah, um, and then a after the merger, they brought in another CEO, mm -hmm. um, and then my dad was just on the executive team, and then my dad ended up, ended up leaving for a while. Yeah, but his brother, yeah, my grandfather's brother John Covey, uh, he wasn't really involved in the day-to-day -day operations. He, he more did what my grandfather did. He did a lot of speaking and training. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Let's just let's just move on in terms of come, coming back to you. And you've talked about this a little bit already, but what has been the impact of your grandfather on your own life? Yeah, well, um, I mean, the impact on my own life, I mean, number one, you know, I'm reminded on a daily basis hmm. of, of his legacy just because of my name, yes. right? And so almost everyone I talk to, you know, especially since you know, what I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm in still the training and kind of development space. So yes. almost everyone I talk to will always mention something about, you know, oh, your grandfather changed my life or yes. are you related to the Stephen Covey yes. or, you know, That's people right. always ask me. So it's, it's a daily reminder, li yes. literally daily, yes. um, about the, the positive and, influence. He, and I just like yeah. to comment on that as well, because, yeah. you know, living in it, in the West, where family has eroded so much, where there's so much emphasis on the individual and a second yeah. mindset that I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, I'm my own person, I'm here to carve my own way. And I think you, you know, you and your family have this unique legacy that goes back generations. And as you said, you know, your father's name, your, your grandfather's name is there and that impact. But that's actually a wonderful thing because it, it, you have a place in this universe as part yeah. of a wider. I wouldn't say tribe. Tribe is the wrong word, but if your family, you know, a, a clan, or a cl whatever the right word is, clan, or right. you know, and and you know, you're living for for a bigger purpose than just yourself or your own personal needs. You, you, you've got you got you know, in 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 Asian culture, they talk about the family honor and the family name, but you know, but and those are you know, they've been misused a lot around the world. But I think that's a very positive thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, de definitely. I mean, I'm so grateful. I mean, 
part of me, it's like, uh, you know, no pressure, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so there, there, there is, I mean, there is some of that I think I've felt in my life where it's like, I think some people are judgmental and will, you know, say, oh, Stephen Covey, like what, you know, what have you done? Or are you just, you're just living off, you know, what your grandfather's done, you know? So there, there's some of that, but, but in the end, I'm grateful for that because it pushes me yeah. and it, and it makes me want to have an impact. But but some of the things of how he's left an impact on me is, um, you know, number one is being able to see the potential in others and other people. Yeah. He was he was great at that. I mean, his his personal mission from a work perspective is he wanted to unleash human potential. Mm. That's what he would always talk about. And he just saw potential in, in literally everyone. Yeah. I mean, and he truly believed it. It wasn't just some, you know... You know, oh yeah, everyone everyone has potential. It was like he really believed it. And you could sense that when you were with him. So that to me, I mean, that's an impact he's left on my life that when I when I see people or talk with people, I, I try to see them the way, you know, my grandpa saw them. It's like these this person has potential. And then another thing, um, is I kind of heard throughout my life and going to college and reading a lot of business books and um you know, studying a lot of things is you kind of get this sense, even if people don't say it out loud, where it's like, look, you kind of have to choose. Like, do you want to be, if you want to be successful in business, then other, you're going to have to sacrifice other things. You know, most likely if you're really going to be successful in business, then you've got to sacrifice your family. Yeah. Or, or if you want to sacrifice, you know, if you don't want to sacrifice your family, you could be a great father or, or mother or wife, yes. but your business life is going to suffer. Yes. But I, I grew up with an example of someone who both succeeded tremendously in business, obviously, my grandfather, yeah. but at the same time succeeded tremendously with his own family. That's fantastic. And yeah. You know, he, he's, he's some, yeah, he's someone that was able to do both. Yeah. And so that's given me a vision for my life. It's like, you know, I can, I can be successful in business, but that does not mean that it has to take away from my family. Yeah. And I, I don't have to sacrifice my family and being a good dad and, mm. and brother yeah. um, and, and husband uh, in order to be successful at business. I, I can do both. It's possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's been a huge inspiration to me as well. Yeah. So just yeah. tell us, what are you currently doing? Tell us more about yourself, you know? Yeah. So I currently am with a company called SMCOV, yes. SMCOV. Yes. Uh, and it was started by my uncle David, who is uh, Stephen R. Covey's son, mm-hmm. and his business partner, Stefan Mardiques. And they were former COOs at Franklin Covey. Right. And, uh, you know, they helped... Um, kind of spread the seven habits training worldwide mm-hmm. by setting up, uh, you know, some direct offices, but also some some licensees, mm-hmm. uh, kind of franchise partners to represent the seven habits brand. And so around the time that my grandfather was retiring about four and a half, five years ago, they decided to leave Franklin Covey and start SM Cove w- with the idea in mind that they would be able to help other intellectual property owners. Right. Uh, take their content global wow. nice. in, in the same way that they helped the seven habits go global. Because when they were working at Franklin Covey, a lot of people would approach them, um, you know, that had either written some great 
great books um, and wanted to further spread their message. And they say, hey, can you help us? Mm. And so they, they saw that there was a big need, at, at least in the kind of the leadership and training and development space. Yes. And so that's what we do at, at SM Cub is we help take, uh, you know, training companies global. Yeah. Uh, and it's mainly through licensing. We don't really set up direct offices. We find partners for them yes. that want to represent the content. So, so one example uh, that people might be familiar with is David Allen, yes. uh, get, getting things done, the book yes. Getting Things Done. It's a, it's a productivity uh, system. that is stress-free productivity, that's right. Yes. Stress-free productivity. And so we, we've helped someone like David Allen uh, find partners around the world that represent his brand. Yes, and, and it very nicely—it very nicely sort of sort of dovetails what your what what the Covey what Covey has done as well, because Covey's very much from the top, and this is very much getting things done is very much what he, yeah. like the practical day to day stuff like that. So it fits in very nicely that way. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm currently doing. Is uh, I was the first first employee hired here, and um, it's been it's been great because it's been, it's given me a different perspective of kind of the training industry, not just from, you know, the Franklin Covey side of things, but we work with all kinds of training companies from many different topics. So it's given me a kind of a broader perspective and, and, than just my grandfather's stuff. And if our listeners want to find out more, where, where should they go? Can you just give us? Yeah. So if find out more, just go to SM, smcov.com, smcov.com. And you can see some of the brands that we work with, um, uh, there and, and we, we have about, uh, you know, at this point about a little, little over 70 different licensees around the world wow. that represent, um, many of our brands and, and we're hoping to, you know, increase that number, um, each and every year. So it's, it's been a great learning experience for me. Yeah. And we'll put that link on, on, on the website as well. That will be with the cool, yeah. that come with this. Um, and just a little, little bit more about yourself. So you're married to and your children? Yeah. yeah. I'm married uh, to uh, my wife, Emily, who actually I met her through uh, my grandma, uh, Sandra, Stephen R. Covey's wife. Right. Okay. Sandra had a reconstructive back surgery about seven years ago yes. where she had to have home health care. So the, a full-time nurse was on. And my wife was one of the nurses that okay. took care of my grandma. Oh, right. And so, yeah. Right, so, okay. her, her first night working on the job, I went over there and I was like, wow, this, this girl's really pretty. Um, <laughs> right. And so, I, you know, asked her out and, you know, we ended up getting married, which was great. But, but it was great because my, my wife got to spend a lot of time with my grandfather and my grandma before he passed away. Wow. Uh, with, with, you know, because she basically, you know, would... would would do like uh, 24 hour shifts uh, at their house. So she really got to know, and I'm, I'm so grateful she got to know my grandpa before he, you know, before he passed away. Uh, yeah, so then, and then, so that's my wife, and then we've got three kids. So Stephen is five, okay, Evelyn's Stephen. two. Okay, the next Stephen. Yeah, uh, yeah, Stephen B. Covey, yeah, another Stephen. Yeah. And I have two daughters as well who are younger. So. Oh, lovely. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. And so just let's go back to the wider family. Tell us what other members of the family are doing as well. Yeah. yeah so uh, remember, as far as nine children and the 52 grandchildren, we'd have to go, we were not going to go through all of them, but just give us Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as far as his, his children, 
uh, most of the girls in the family have, uh, for, you know, for the most part have been kind of stay at, stay at home moms, but are all just, I mean, great, great leaders have been very impactful in their communities, but that's what they've done. And then as far as his sons, so there's my dad, Stephen M. R. Covey, who wrote the speed of trust. Yeah. And is is kind of doing a similar thing to what my grandfather did. Yeah. Sean Covey is one of the executives at Franklin Covey. Yeah. Uh, David Covey is like I said, is the CEO at SM Cub, who started SM okay. Cub where I'm working. Yeah. And then Josh Covey, the youngest, he works uh, at Franklin Covey uh, on the leader in me. Okay. So bring bring seven habits to school. To schools. So, yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and the other obviously the other famous uh, Covey landmark, and I can see you're going in that direction. Is is the hair loss as well? <laughs> I know. <laughs> actually, I'm actually at at because I'm I uh, at at my age, my grandpa was already pretty much bald, so I'm actually doing fantastic. How, how old are you? Can we ask how old are you? Yeah, I'm uh, 28. Oh, 28 years. Oh, you're just a kid. Yeah. Okay, you're just a kid. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, but it is it is the hallmark as well. It it, it is the um it's, it's the hallmark. It's great. It's yeah, great. It's, yeah. It's coming. It's coming. So. It's okay. It's, it's right. good there. Yeah. Anything else uh, you think we haven't covered or you, you you you'd like to share with our listeners? It's been great just hearing um having this sort of insight into the man behind you know the books and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, the only thing I'd add, I'll just tell one, one, one short story that I think hmm. is a great example of uh, who my grandpa really was. So one time when I was in college, I, I went to school at Brigham Young University. Yeah. Uh, he, my grandpa was actually coming to speak uh, at, on campus yeah. uh, for, I can't remember what for. So I was waiting for him because I was going to help him find where he needed to go. So uh, I was just in a big, long hallway, and there was, you know, there were kind of students everywhere all around. And way down the hall, I mean, I, I was pretty far away, I saw a girl in the corner, just a college student, who was, you could tell she was emotionally upset. She was crying about something. She had her head down in the corner, kind of crying. She was really far away, and um, I saw my grandpa you know, come around the corner walking to come and meet me. And he was walking, and I think he kind of saw the girl from the corner of his eye, and he took probably five or six steps forward, and then he paused and kind of, you know, kind of like processed it and said, oh, that I think this girl is, you know, sad about something. So then he went back and went to this girl and, you know, talked to her. You know, I, I have no idea what, what they said, uh, you know, but he kind of bent down and talked to her for a while, and I don't know if he encouraged her. I mean, it looked like he was either affirming her or encouraging her yeah. or doing something. Um, and then, and then after talking for a while, he got back up and came and met me. Yeah. But, but that that was so cool for me to see because no one, I mean, no one saw him do that. He didn't know that I saw him. He he, he never knew that I saw him do that. Right. It was and how old were totally, you? How old were you at the time? How old you, wait, wait. I was um, I was probably twenty two. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was probably twenty two. This is six years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I, I witnessed him do that, and it was just a great example to me. I mean, this girl, I don't think she had no idea who he was. No, yeah. Um, but it's like you know, here, here's a here's a person who's been extremely uh, successful in business and 
sold all these millions of copies and has yeah. been with world leaders countries and and yet he really lived what and we just this girl was just some random college student, but he, you know, he cared so much about the individual. Yeah. Um, that that was so, I mean, one of the most impactful things that I ever witnessed from Grandpa do, because no one saw him do it. Uh, he wasn't doing it to show or anything like that. That That's who he really was. That's, that, that, that's who he really was. So that, 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 that's, that's a story that I, I really haven't shared with, you know, a lot of people. Um, but but I think it really epitomizes who my who my grandpa was. Yeah. You know, as you said, that's the, that's the, I think that the, the wonderful thing about him is that you know people are so interested in in their public image and and how they're coming across. But it's it's who you are in private that really matters. And uh, right. And and that's that's that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's what's wonderful. I'm going to finish with a quote from the that Economist article, uh, the last paragraph. Um, when they did their their sort of obituary for for. Um, for your grandfather they entitled it work second family first which you've talked about and uh, i'll just read that out. he says uh, perhaps mr covey's most appealing principle was that people should balance life and work which is what you talked about a father of nine and a grandfather of 52 just 52 uh, grandchildren just, just for those listening he reserved one distraction free weekday evening to bond with his family he wrote a book on the seven habits of highly effective families which urged them to set mission statements and hold regular meetings to discuss progress. Then he puts there, really? Did, 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 did you do that as well? <laughs> no, yeah, we did. We did. We, we, every, every Monday night, we, you know, we call it family home evening. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we always, you know, a lot of times we did fun things. So we didn't necessarily regularly talk about the mission statement, but, but uh it is something that we would do. Okay. That's not that's not far fetched. But it says he hated the idea of retirement. He worked until the end, which came after he fell off his bicycle at the age of seventy nine. Uh, he was he, he got he knocked down got knocked down by a car. Or something. What happened there? Yeah. So he um, was riding a bike down a hill and uh, lost control of the bike, mm. and he. When he fell, you know those those bike helmets. If you if you don't have them strapped on really tight, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it immediately went back, and so he hit his head right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he also broke a bunch of ribs and bones in his body. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was about three months after the accident when he passed away. His, his you know he just couldn't recover from it, and he, and he had some brain damage from the yeah. from the accident. But we we look at it, and it's like you say. He lived his life in crescendo, yes. and and uh, you know he didn't want to slow down, and you know it was it was tragic the way that it happened and everything. But I mean, it, it kind of epitomized his life. You know, he wasn't going to slow down just because he was getting older. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Stephen, for just giving us this uh, insight into your grandfather, um, a truly amazing man. Uh, the books, again, are The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, The Eighth Habit. Um, they're available in, on Amazon all over the world. Anywhere you look, you'll, you'll see them. Um, they've influenced literally millions of people and have... Um, the man himself has had a huge impact on people around the world, uh, from world leaders to uh, the common man on the street. Uh, thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you. We've really been privileged to have this time to have this conversation with you. 
Thank you so much. Happy to do it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.